Someone lived this year. I showed him how to scramble the records, cover their tracks. With my own eyes, I saw her come. I dressed her in blue when it was time for her to go. There's a bit of every artist in their work. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dan and Patrick, and we have two special guests that we're going to introduce in a minute. Um, this is not a formal Shoulder of Orion episode. We are sort of, we announced uh, a launch of uh, a series on 2049, which we are going to do, but really want to take some time as a community, as a fan community, and not just Shoulder of Orion and Blade Runner, but as a fandom. You know, all of us are at home right now. Um, dealing with what everyone else in the world is dealing with, and that is a, a global pandemic. And uh, one thing that we know that is true and that relates to Blade Runner is Blade Runner is essentially the story of people be finding their humanity, people becoming more human, and what that means, what that means to them. And we are all in the situation now where we have to meet a moment. And how do we meet that moment? Do we meet that moment uh, as with the angels of our better nature? Do we find, do we explore that together in terms of uh, what what does it mean to be human right now? Uh, what does that look like as, a, as a, a global community? Because really that's what we're all experiencing. Globally, we're all going through the exact same things. Some of us might be dirt poor. Some of us might live in India. Some of us, some of us might live in the UK. It doesn't matter where you are. We're all experiencing the same things. We're all indoors. We're all hunkered down, waiting to see what's going to happen uh, in terms of the coronavirus and everything. So that's the that's the spirit that we're launching this episode. We just felt like uh, we would have some guests on and create a little bit of a roundtable and find out how everyone is doing. I will introduce our first guest, uh, Dan or Patrick. I don't know if you'd like to introduce Peter. Peter's been on before, but just like a reintroduction. So our first guest, though, is a friend of ours who we call Mark Deckard, and Mark is very... Um, active in the community. You, if you follow us on the Podbean app, you'll see him commenting on many of our episodes. He's a wonderful man. He is a veteran. Um, we had an event last November, which was incredible. Mark was there dressed as Rick Deckard. Um, I had been talking with Mark before. We had connected before. Uh, Mark is just another one of uh, the a, another one of our listeners who is just an incredible person that I'm blessed to know that we're blessed to know as a show. So thank you, Mark, for coming on. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's, it's more than an honor to actually be here and get to talk to you guys on this show. So Mark, can you give us a little bit of uh, just insight into your history with Blade Runner? You're obviously a, a really huge fan. Um, how did that start and how has Blade Runner kind of been a part of your life now for, and, and for how long? Um, I actually, caught my first viewing of Blade Runner um, in 2003 when I bought the director's cut DVD but it kind of goes beyond that though there was a video store I went to and every time I went to go pick up this video it was gone I just the artwork was the very first thing that just got me I'm like all these incredible actors and I've never seen this film well it was so good it never got returned to the video store so it was always that out of reach <laughs> gotta get it 
you know, and, uh, when I finally did it, um, you know, I wasn't blown away by it. I was like, well, it's got some really good special effects and it had some awesome intense moments. Um, it was kind of in 2017, uh, the force awakens kind of like reignited my, my love of star Wars and stuff. And I kind of went overboard. Uh, but the last Jedi kind of really toned that down for me a bit. And it seems like, I just fell in love with Blade Runner that year. Like my sci-fi fix just totally got twisted around to Blade Runner. Obviously 2049 uh, was coming out that year and it was like, well, it's a great time to rewatch the original. And, you know, I'd, I'd heard this mentioned before. It's like when you revisit it, you fall in love with it. And that was my experience. I just, it was like, wow, I can't get enough of this film. And that's been going on now for a better part of three years that it's in it a monthly viewing cycle if not weekly bi-weekly <laughs> in some form or another it, it's just it's so incredible i can't even begin to say just how much it means to me i mean i've heard mark talk about it before but it's nice to hear it on the uh, podcast for the first time and for all of you um and i did want to mention again thanks to peter from the midwest for joining us again he's a he's a um regular contributor and we're happy to have him back also a patron so um Hope you guys have been enjoying the frame rate episodes and and shit show and the other stuff that's been going out on that. Um, yeah, I was gonna go around and kind of see how we're all doing in general before we get kicking into the world of Blade Runner and kind of do a fan catch up. Um, I was just telling everyone before we got on that while there's lots of grim news and things to be kind of a little bit down about because of uh, you know various facets we probably won't have time to get into here. Um, it is nice to kind of see the positivity and the good things that people are bringing out of this crisis. We've seen the collection of like Italian flags out on balconies, Chinese citizens, um, both the government kind of trying to help out and sending doctors to Italy, but also them just in solidarity, like waving Italian flags. And and there's just really, I keep up with Italy a lot because I have family in Bergamo, which is one of the hardest hit towns. And it's crazy and surreal to hear people describing your hometown to a certain extent, even the street I grew up on as like this weird ghost town with like military vehicles driving by. And it just like seems like the beginning of a crazy science fiction movie, which we're all very familiar with. Um, but the more I talk to people, the more I realize that everyone's on the same page in terms of, you know, it's like I'm talking to relatives I hadn't talked to in a really long time. We're connecting on FaceTime. Like my grandma's like doing knitting classes with people and teaching kids, blah, blah. You know, there's so many heartwarming stories like that. So it is really nice amidst the chaos to see us humans kind of coming together and doing what we can for each other. And I know this will lead to the sense of community that this fandom has. And I know that there's a big connection, especially when it comes to empathy, um, because of the type of people who are attracted to this type of sci-fi, um, and the community that, you know, many have helped build uh, and joined over the last uh, couple of years. And we've been fortunate enough to be in the middle and kind of a sounding board for it. So we're really excited to, um, yeah, be able to reconnect with you guys and just see how everyone's doing. And, and um, I'll pass it to Peter. Hey, guys. Good to check in from the uh, from the Midwest. Um, yeah, everything's, you know, going as good as things can go with the news. And it's sort of different sort of being, I think, in the, in the middle of the country right now as opposed to the coasts. Um, but, you know, Things, places like Chicago and other larger metro areas are are facing sort of a a little delay. I think on a lot of things that are happening on the coast. Um, so yeah, 
hunkering down, unfortunately, or fortunately, however, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, the Illinois stay-at-home um, procedures are, are a little, I think, looser than most. Um, so I'm still in what's the, the one of the essential uh, industries, I think, is what, what they still label us as. Um, so still, still going to work. Um, kids are off school, doing a lot of homeschooling stuff. They're all enjoying it. Um, trying to, you know, always kind of take their temperature as far as sort of the hidden stressors that kids can feel in sort of events like this. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think um, it's really good to hear, you know, just in your description, both Jamie and Dan um, talking about how the community at large, Shoulder Orion community is more active. Um, that's good to hear. I don't actively participate in, in a lot of the social media stuff with the group. Um, which, you know, is, is sort of a bummer, but at the same time, I think my real connection has always been, it's uh, in first listening to you guys, it was sort of a, a light that sort of went off to say, hey, there's still people out there that are into these types of things. Um, I've described many times, you know, my experiences with hanging out with friends in basements, and especially middle school, and just the amazing times watching movies and talking about life and all the things that movies do. Um, you guys sort of re-sparked that in me and sort of knew that there were other people out there um, so I, I enjoy being sort of a, a, a outlier in the community, but really appreciate everything you guys have done. And, uh, this was a great idea and I'm glad you guys invited me because it's, you know, it's a nice stress relief to kind of sit down on the couch with you guys and talk Blade Runner again for a minute. So thanks. Totally. Thanks. Um, Patrick. Yeah, man, it's funny. You know, we, uh, <clears throat> we did one of these for perfect organism just a few days ago to sort of like a, a kind of a check in catch up episode. And I was in such a different emotional space then. And then last night, you know, I just had a phone call with Jamie and I was in such a different, I mean, I could barely talk. I was so upset last night. I was just feeling the kind of the weight, you know, was kind of hitting me of everything that's going on. And then today I feel great. And, and I, and I don't, I don't know what that's all about, but I think a lot of this has been just sort of processing it day by day and, and kind of adapting to the situation and as a parent and as a, you know, husband and as a, member of fandom and a friend trying to figure this out uh, like we all are. Um, something that kind of going with this emerging optimistic tone here, which I'm, I'm loving tonight, which is great and is a good change from the way a lot of people have been talking lately. Um, <clears throat> something that somebody pointed out to me last weekend is that, so so before I give you that background, so I, I've been working from home now for like, this will be for the third week that I have not been allowed to go back into the office because Boston was hit really hard, really early because of this large conference that had happened. So, uh, so like I have been barred from getting into my office for quite some time now. So I've been kind of trying to adapt to this notion of like really being kind of stuck here. And, um, and because of that, you know, I've been just now on this, on these teleconference calls, just uh, every single day, so many times per day for kind of a long time. And I've gotten used to it. But one thing that I have not gotten used to, and this is what was pointed out to me, is that every time I connect into one of these meetings and everybody has their cameras on, we all have this moment of like, oh, hey, like, how's it going? Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, my God. Oh, how you doing? Oh, that's your cat. Oh, my God. I didn't know you had a cat. Like these these moments of like real genuine, uh, like happiness. at just That's seeing really each other. cool. And, and, and I, I was realizing like, holy fuck, I don't do that in my normal life. When I see people, like, you know, just w when I see colleagues and things like that, you know, I'm like happy to see them. Like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, but I, I don't, I take it for granted because there's no reason not to, right? And now I'm not allowed to see these people anymore physically. Like these people that I spend all of this time with, I, I can't. So every time I see them, I feel a real genuine surge of joy. Every time we connect, you know, every time we've done, we've at least tried to do episodes in the meantime, or that we've just, you know, connected via, uh, you know, FaceTime or on Skype, 
I have this real sense, like my heart skips a beat. I just feel so happy to see that you guys are okay and that we're here together and we're talking. And that like, in those kind of late night moments where I feel like genuinely afraid, because I do sometimes still feel genuinely afraid, that like that those moments recede when I see other people and I see all these beautiful faces and I see these people who are still so much a part of the fabric of my life who I kind of took for granted before. So I guess this is a long-winded way of saying that what I'm trying to be really mindful of today is that when things do return to normal, because they, they will return to whatever the new normal ends up being, but they will return to some normalcy, right? Uh, that I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that real genuine sense of gratefulness for having the ability to connect with people uh, in my life day in and day out. And that is just like many of you have already said so far in this call, uh, like no, nowhere better, uh, represented than in fandom groups on Facebook, because like for, for me, especially with Blade Runner, I did not have connections to other fans ever really outside of my cousin who I love and who, you know, listens to the show and is a big fan, but it was just kind of like our thing growing up, you know? And then I was like, Oh my God, there's all these other people out there who have this really deep emotional spiritual connection to this movie who know way more about it than I do, who care way more about it than I do, who can bring out the best in me as a fan and as a friend and as a member of this community. And I can teach them things too, that I've learned and picked up through the years. And we can kind of foster this real sense of community. So, um, I'm trying to be thankful for that. Like I'm trying to not take for granted the connections that we have in this evolving digital world that we live in because those connections are real and they transcend this digital medium that we're speaking through and that we're convening in. And when we do meet in person someday, like, you know, Peter, I haven't gotten to meet you yet in person, even though we've been friends now for years. Like when we do eventually get to hang out and I get to, you know, do a heel flip that's, you know, maybe a little bit taller than yours. Uh, it's just going to feel like it's going to feel like seeing family. And and I just I want to just recognize how grateful I am to have all of you um, to have people like Mark who just, you know, materialize in the crazy digital ether that's out there and show themselves to be a really fully formed friend that right from the very beginning. You know, these amazing connections that we have are things that we should not take for granted. And I'm And I'm very blessed to be here talking to you guys and connecting with everybody listening tonight. You know, what's interesting is I as I. Uh continue or we all continue this journey that we're on that we don't really know what where it's going to lead it's really all uncertainty i i thought about blade runner 2049 and a lot of people when it came out they were saying how distant everything felt distant and um isolated k felt isolated and um of course we were watching that oh is this dystopia like every everyone's isolated from each other and you know there's the market scene or the food court scene, but even then there's not a ton of people there. There's just a lot of isolation happening. And then of course there's Vegas and here we are living in isolation. Here we are experiencing, uh, part of that, whatever that is and experiencing the toll that it takes on us to not have the, uh, permission to drive into the city, to not be able to go walk in the sit down with your neighbor, to not be able to embrace your friend um, because of the dangers that lie there. Um, and this silent enemy, essentially, um, that everyone's invisible. freaked out. Yeah, totally, totally invisible. And it's, it's very interesting to have seen so many films about dystopia and um, what that is like and sort of watching it like, oh, crazy, yeah, look, or whether it's more teen stuff like Hunger Games or whatever, but we are experiencing like a, a, a surge of this right now. And at the same time, we're being asked, is this how we want to live? 
you know, um, of course we don't want to live this way, but so what does it mean to not live this way? What does it really mean to care for your neighbor? What does it mean to, um, not get lost in overscheduling yourself day in and day out and day in and day out. Now we're all forced to sit there with either our thoughts or our children. And, uh, it's very profound to me. And I feel like, um, I I don't want to say I've said this before, but like, I feel like this has been a gift and I don't mean like, Oh, it's a gift that all these people have died. Of course not. It's very tragic and it's a, definitely a disaster what's happening but i think what is wrapped in this if we can see it is a gift to find out who we are to really find out what's important to our in our lives really truly truly what is important in your life um and that's a different answer for everyone but i i I think all of humanity is at this point where whatever is happening whatever this virus is has stopped all of us and i i think it's incredibly powerful and i think it it can only be good if we let it be. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, going back to what you were saying about this sort of invisible threat, my uh, my friends in Bad Gummo described it as it's like um, it's like an invisible monster is lurking outside, and we have to explain to our children why they can't go play, why they can't go outside, why it's dangerous. Like all of a sudden, you guys, you know, you guys all have kids except me and Jamie. And I can't imagine the conversations you have to have with your kids of different ages, trying to explain to them what is going on in the world right now. I'll, I'll let you guys do that for yourselves. I was going to ask Mark, since we only did introductions, what's your experience been like so far, Mark? Well, um, <clears throat> being a, a PTSD stay at home veteran, it really hasn't changed my schedule up. Uh, obviously, you know, my son's at home with me and, um, that has just been incredible. I've been trying to really just soak up this time that I get with him. Um, at first, I, I got to admit, it was kind of that fear uh, reaction. You know, you go into the store and stuff that you're used to seeing is gone. Um, but it, it seems like it has brought out not only the best in me and those closest to me, but like you guys were saying, you know, with, within our fandom, I, I just noticed a lot of positivity out there. Um, that's not what you hear when you tune into the news, which I've completely just kind of shut off at this point. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll read some headlines, but it's, um, I don't know. I really got to remain that, that positive outlook is that, yeah, we can, this is kind of our reset switch. We can really, you know, take that introverted look inside and say, what is important? What's, you know, and, and tying that to Blade Runner, you know, Jamie had said it's it's about what is it to be human, and I, I think that's kind of what this moment in time is for us too. Uh, are we going to let fear dominate us and and rule our actions, or are we going to you know just look at those silver linings and make the best of it? Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm really grateful that that we've all got a way to connect without you know violating the uh the 10 person you know crowd and stuff like that and uh i think these connections are are more important now than they ever have been really do you know it's it's interesting mark listening to you speak about like how you feel blade runner relates to this it kind of made me think about other film for a second and one of the really unique things about this is that it is connecting all of us in the world right 
like 9-11 happened and there was certainly a certain sense of solidarity within Americans. Lots of people all over the world were like mourning for us and grieving for us and supporting us. But in the end, that is an isolated event that happened in the U.S., killed X number of people. I mean, one could argue we've been in two or three wars ever since. So it certainly has had an impact on our life and the Patriot Act and all of that. There's definitely a pre-9-11, post-9-11 world that we live in. But what's interesting about this event is that both on a global scale and on an intimate level, everybody everywhere in the world knows something about this and is seeing it invade its community, their communities. And they're hearing the stories from their members that are overseas. They're getting stuck in immigration lines and all this crazy shit that everyone is like on the same page. I mean, I was joking around earlier that it's like anyone you talk to, it's impossible to not get on the subject because it's on all of our minds. Um, so that's one thing that really struck me is how unifying this is worldwide. Now, it's like we all have something to relate to. You can meet someone brand new from another country, not even speak the same language, and you could probably kind of mime like, hey, shit's kind of crazy right now, huh? Or remember in 2020 when all that shit went down? And so there's an interesting unifying aspect to that. Um, and then it made me think, you guys are talking, Jamie's talking about, and Mark, you guys are talking about... Um, taking the opportunity to like really live your life and really understand who you are, which we see those themes in both Blade Runner films. But, you know, it made me think of um, the way science fiction has to get fantastical sometimes to really put us in the shoes of these characters. Real life has a way of doing that sometimes without it even getting that fantastic or crazy. I mean, I think that I, I can draw a parallel with It's a Wonderful Life, right? Jimmy Stewart's character gets to see what his town would have been like had he never been born. Right now, we're witnessing a small part of what your town or city would look like if everyone died, right? I mean, I'm not trying to make it grim. I'm just saying the ghost town effect of seeing all these empty streets and commerce mostly shutting down, right? That could be anything. And I think while science fiction highlights these potential events really well, but also a film like Contagion shows this situation in a contemporary setting, there's a lot of history here to connect us to the people that came before us, like the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, right? And you can look at charts and look at data and talk about politics and all that, but on a human level, I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, World War I era is just beyond our grasp. If you read history and you have a good historian relating things to you, you can relate to the people from that time. Other than that, it's kind of difficult to relate to like adults in 1918, right? They were born in the late 1800s, early 1900s. To us, they're just distant people. But as I was swiftly reminded um, when I was watching Predestination recently and the the travel handbook for the time uh, – what do they call them? Like time detective. But I can't remember the, the time travel uh, term that they use. Uh, temporal agents is what they are. And in their handbook, it says, remember that your ancestors are just people. And I think there's something there to think about, right, what was it like when – you know, women were losing babies more easily and diseases like this were just not stoppable as quickly because we didn't have the vaccines. Like it really connects us to an earlier version of our society and really reminds us how vulnerable we are, how precious life is and how similar we are, I think. And that's a really nice connecting thread amidst obviously some negative things. I, I really sense that connection in humanity and fiction, science fiction, reading, writing, art are all things that are an attempt of one of us or a group of us to try and extend our mind to a bunch of other people. So we see it a lot in art, but it's interesting to me to see it happening 
through real life. It's very surreal experience. Well, I, I think one of the big things is, is I, I think I may have mentioned this, or maybe it's just one of my imaginary conversations I've had with you guys while listening to you while driving through the Midwest. Um, I think especially for Blade Runner, but science fiction in general, but, you know, keeping it to Blade Runner, I think movies and the themes that it has sort of contextualizes or even sort of gives you a little practice. And I don't mean in the um, zombie apocalypse sort of way, which, you know, you, you use a crowbar instead of something else to as your weapon of choice or things like that. No, I'm I'm talking about sort of preparing you for either sort of isolation and in a lot of ways, maybe even loss or tragedy. Um, I find myself, you know, even in my life, thankfully I've not had to deal with a lot of that, but I feel like I've, I've put myself through a lot of those emotions in watching through, especially movies like Blade Runner and, um, you know, sort of imagining, uh, especially, you know, Jamie in your conversations um, and your description of, of Rachel and bringing her back in 2049, I'll pick that scene for a minute. And just the, the, the loss or the feeling of Deckard seeing her back, um, sort of the, the conversations that you'd have with yourself as I've lost this person, I've, I've had a loss and I, and I feel a hole for that loss or a, a longing for that loss and how wonderful it would be to have that person back for a moment but how if it wasn't really that person or, you know, sort of that, that Deckard, that whole scene, I think, sort of prepares you. And I'm not trying to, again, go doom and gloom of everything that, you know, that could happen with sort of pandemics like this. But it's sort of, it's not the first time you've had those thoughts and you know where they are, you know how to deal with them, I hope, to everyone. And if you don't, reach out to another member of the community. Um, but just, it sort of almost has given you some practice with dealing with that sort of emotion, that sort of sense of, of impending doom or what loss could feel like. And it's sort of, in some ways, especially through 29, 2049, that scene, and I think, Jamie, I don't know if you can relate to this, but almost even gives you a sense of, of comfort or it's a familiar place. And I think that kind of has helped um, deal with that. And I think people in this community may be particularly well-equipped. And hopefully you are um, for dealing for this type of stuff because it's the type of movies we enjoy. They deal with a lot of these issues and, you know, here we are. And if you have to deal with it in real life, reach out to each other, talk about it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I think Dan, it's perfect. You're just talking about how this can sort of maybe our interests sort of can help everyone sort of as a group deal with this type of stuff. I feel like there has to be a German word for that. And I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there's definitely a German <laughs> word that gets at the exact feeling that Deckard has when he sees Rachel 2.0. And it's a feeling that I, I'm getting these little whiffs of when I've stepped outside over the last couple of weeks where it's like not the, like the world's not the same, you know, it kind of looks like it and it kind of feels like it, but it's like there's something that has fundamentally been altered about it. That means that there's no going back like it, it. And so I guess this German word, if I could, you know, coin it, which I can't would be something expressing the idea of the ghost of something, making you realize the loss of something, you know, Holy crap. Okay. Now you have right? to try and say it in German. Just make it up. There's something about like, because, uh, you know, you know that was Austrian. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I feel like in, in my life when i've when i've dealt with loss a lot of the time i don't immediately feel what i don't I ever actually i don't ever feel all of that loss right at the beginning right you know when i lost my uncle who was one of my absolute best friends growing up and who's our son's middle name is you know named for him he's just it was a huge part of my formative years in my life and he died just completely suddenly and tragically and uh and it just and it really hit me hard at first, right? But it wasn't until I kind of started dreaming about him that I realized what that loss looked like, you know, um, and and how that loss would become a part of who I am for the rest of my life. And so I guess uh, in in the world of 2049, which I do want to get, I want to actually get into for a minute after this comment. I feel like I don't think Deckard sees the contours of his loss in as real a way as he needed to to really appreciate it until he sees something that's such a close simulacrum, but simulacrum, but it's not her. And I think in the world right now, we're feeling almost the sense of a pre-loss because we know that once things return to something that feels like it functions and it moves and it breathes like the world we had before, that it just, it just, it just won't be the same world that we had before. And there's nothing, you know, right or wrong about that. It's not like that's necessarily even a bad thing. But it's an awareness, and I think that awareness can be very difficult for people sometimes uh, because it represents deeper changes within us. I want to go back for a second, and then I want to toss it up to to Mark. Um, for me, I, I I don't think it's accidental that we're not talking about 2019 as much as we're talking about 2049 in this conversation. To me, I have, for whatever reason, really not been thinking of the first film very much in the last month. But 2049, I'm like seeing everywhere, um, and I think that I, I mean I have my own reasons for why I think I'm feeling that. But I'm curious, before I blab anymore, um, if, if you guys might have some insights into that. And, and specifically, I would love to hear from Mark, you know, what, what is 2049 to you as a film? And, and do you see echoes of it in the world we're living in right now? Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's so funny. Um, Jamie had posted a picture of this bee crawling on a hand. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that from the film. And the next day, I'm out planting with my family, and there are all these bees just doing their thing on my lemon tree, my grapefruit tree. And I don't know what it was about those bees, but it's like in 2049, in such a bleak landscape, and everybody's just kind of in their own worlds. When you see that bee on his hand, it's like, well, there's hope. E even in all this desolation, there's hope uh, in, in one insect crawling on his hand. And when I can see that, you know, out, out my door, it just, it reaffirms that gratitude that I've got right now, where it's like, hell yeah, I've got trees and it's not something dead held up and, you know, just on amidst a scorched landscape. It's, you know, I don't know. It, it helps me really appreciate what's out my front door. Um, you know, the, the people that I have in my life, my wife's not a hologram that, that helps out a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, also I was thinking, too, um, when you were talking about that processing loss and how something seemed a little off with Rachel 2.0, um, I think the the part of that scene that hit me even harder was when they played the actual footage of Rachel walking into the light at the Tyrell Corporation. And that music, that that combination of that music and his look into the darkness, it's like, that's how I recollect people that I have lost. Uh, that means so much to me. And, and when I really take time to sit down and, and remember them, uh, you know, there there is a bit of 
like, oh my gosh, I do remember what that was like the uh, first time I met them. And there's also that, that bittersweet, you know, end to it that's like, but they are gone, you know? I mean, it looks like Deckard just stayed in that loss for all those years. And um, I was kind of heading that way myself. I, I really wasn't processing uh, my grief very well. Um, but But now it's just... I think that film really reminds me that that hey this there is hope you know even the last scene the hand on the glass it gets me every time um you know that's that's re reconnecting with his daughter after all those years um god it just hits me like a ton of bricks man there's there's not an ending to that film where i'm not crying i just <laughs> i can't help it man it, it's um but also um you know, it's it's that concept of do the right thing. Go outside of your programming. You know, Kay had a program. Kay had a job. Um, they were, you know, he was supposed to be part of a line of replicants who obey. And he does anything but by the end of that movie. And, you know, it's like it, it reaffirms that sense of humanity from something that's supposed to be synthetic. Kind of like Roy Batty did that more than Deckard did in the first one. It's like. Here, here's the synthetic man showing me what it is to be human while the humans just kind of tossed away his humanity. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the biggest correlations why I love both of them as films. But uh, yeah, 2049, I, I really think that that hits on that. Can you do the right thing when it's time or are you going to just follow your set programming? And uh, yeah. And- uh, very well said. I'm going to let someone else jump in on this, but I just wanted to comment real quick on your B comment because just yesterday I was standing out front and I was kind of waving at the neighbor across the street. He had come out. So we were talking, you know, like across the street, talking about how's it going, et cetera, keeping our distance. And a bee flew right in front of me off to go land somewhere. And uh, I mean, like a child without any filtering or thinking about it, I got all excited and I was like, oh, dude, look, a bee. And I had to pause to think after that because I was like, holy shit, never in my life growing up would I have pointed to a bee and been like blown away that there was a bee. And it made me realize how tragic that fact was because we've seen bees start to disappear slowly. Everyone our age or older, maybe even a little younger, has stories about, I remember running around when I was little and, you know, and if there were flowers in the field, there was bees everywhere. We got stung like once a month, blah, blah, blah. Like you don't really hear that shit anymore unless you're a beekeeper, you have a restaurant that has, you know, et cetera. It's like same with monarchs. They've been going away. So yeah, I mean that, that feeling of hope from seeing that tiny little animal, um, was really strong. And I think so prescient of the writers that put that in 2049, the way it's filmed, the importance that's put on that, basically that only live creature that we see in the entire film other than humans and i just think that's brilliant right there because that's going to become more and more relevant as the decades go by but that's interesting that you say uh you both have had those b stories this morning i was walking my dog um and of course no one's really out i mean some people come out to walk their animals i have seen a lot of people riding bikes and walking in the neighborhood like far apart but this morning as i was walking my dog i saw this plant low plant um with flowers covered in bees and i was like this is awesome like i I don't know if i'm seeing more bees or less bees i don't know what 
what's going on with them. I know that they're an endangered thing, but um, but this relates back to the question about you know why we're thinking of 2049, and that the GIF that I posted showed someone putting their hand in a pool and saving this little bee and putting it back on a flower. But what was amazing, I think, about the bee, especially in 2049, is that what it's saying, at least to me, is all life is precious. And right now we're in this point where we're anticipating loss. We're anticipating the death of maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. We don't really know. My mom is 64. She'll be 65. My dad is 70. He'll be 71 next month. And I have gone through this scenario of what if they get this? What What are their chances? They do look good, but people are reacting very differently to this. Some people get symptoms and they're, they get a little feverish. And then a few days later, it's gone. Some people are battling this for two weeks. And I'm thinking, what will I do if this takes my mom from me? You know, I like I've had to think I've thought the. You know, I think those thoughts and I'm still driving out into the community for my job and I'm torn up about it because I don't, I'm not just putting myself at risk. I'm putting them at risk when I come home and trying to get direction from my job, from my bosses. And they're like, oh, we'll take every precaution. And I'm like, take every precaution. Like I'm going out in this fucking community and I'm going in people's homes and I'm putting myself at risk or them at risk or my own family at risk. Taking precautions means means not going to work. And so you're living with this idea that you could infect your family or your friends. And um, yeah, and, and then it makes me think of Staline and when she's talking to Kay, why she's behind the, the glass and she's got the Galatian syndrome or whatever, which is probably essentially an autoimmune disease. Why can't she be out there? Because there's probably stuff out there like what we're going through now that would kill her in an instant. Um, so she has to live life behind a dome. Um, and I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about Staline the past few days, like what, because we're sort of living that reality ourselves, not as uh, overt, but definitely shades of it. And it's, it's weird to be in a place where um, you're vulnerable and you have no control. I mean, not that we ever had control. We never had control. We always, we always have to give up control. There's no such thing as control. We don't have control. We have to give it up. However, there's things that we can mitigate, but in some cases we can't mitigate it. We can't, we just have to hope for the best and do what we can. And that's scary for me. That's a little bit scary. Jane is sort of piggyback and kind of keep that both scene continuity and your thought continuity, um, I think it's okay to, to feel out of control now. I mean, I, I've had this little, I don't know if this is going to show, but this is you know, the image I sort of ha have had on my phone just to remember to talk about it. Um, yep. It was just before Kay's going to lose his shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. um, and the reason I have that is just for a couple of reasons. Um, one, personally, um, I've always connected with Kay and we've had this discussion before too. Um, not so much as the hero, but sort of a, as the cool Kay, um, both sort of as a, as a, in my job and also just as, as a father at home, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of, you're tasked with being cool, collected and sort of having answers and being sort of baseline. Um, and so I just remember the first time seeing 2049 in the theater and that freak out scene just melted everything and just, you know, almost like total 
breakdown and just allowed me to sort of feel all just, I don't want to say pent up, but it, it was a release. And I think a lot of us are being asked and not, you know, we're all, we're all doing okay. Obviously we're, we're on computers. We're using whole Wi-Fi. We're ostensibly healthy right now. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think everyone out there is being asked to do a lot right now, which is sort of to be calm, remain calm for their loved ones. But if there's times when you feel out of control, it's okay. Um, and I think we all are going to feel like that. And to sort of, I think, again, Kay in the movie, you know, he's tasked with a lot of things. He's tasked with finding possibly the a miracle He's tasked in his job with sort of killing that miracle, destroying that miracle, however you want to say it, and then returning after, you know, uh, supposedly done so and remaining at sort of a base level of calm. And I think it's okay that, you know, we're all sort of being asked to go out there. Sometimes we're all asked to be doing things. And if you're not base level right now, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think for me, a lot of scenes in 2049 sort of offer that release and sort of show that sort of how being the cool K and sometimes not always feeling like that and keeping yourself like that is actually, you know, freeing. And maybe that's, you know, one lesson to sort of take from 2049 in these terms. And um, someone else pick it up now, but I, I also want to bookmark um, the 2036 Nexus, which is probably something I've watched more than anything right now during these times. And I'll return to that, but someone else pick up on the uh, 2049 stuff. Tell me about Nexus Dawn, the second short film. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, it just, just to kind of chime in for a second, we, we, we haven't really discussed the Galatian syndrome stuff on this show in any real way. Maybe we will on this upcoming series, but um, you know, Paul's letter to the Galatians, you know what it says famously? Uh, it says faith is the road to redemption. And I think that there's like a, a obviously narrative reasons why Kay finds that, you know, um, in the genetic information and why he's the one that receives that information and what that information is ultimately telling him. And also a big hint about what Galatian syndrome actually is, which I think is not at all what we're presented with. But we can kind of save that. I, I think there's something, there's, there's a lot going on with that that's really interesting. Um <clears throat> I, I, Mark, when you were, were talking about the B sequence, I, I started kind of like spontaneously crying. And I think it's because, A, I cry when we talk about Blade Runner all the time. But B, I think it's because <laughs> uh, I've been having a lot of these moments lately where uh, I'm hearing insects that I don't usually hear. And the kids are commenting on it because the only thing we can do now really is go for hikes, you know, other than just staying inside. And we're lucky to live in a, in a part of the greater Boston area that is just completely surrounded by conservation land. So we've been basically just doing that, you know, for hours every day. And um, and I keep hearing these animals that I don't hear usually, especially in this time of the year. And the kids are asking me about them. And I don't even know what they are because I've never, I haven't heard that since, you know, who knows when. So then we'll go and kind of explore, you know, and I'll find that it's like a species of, uh, you know, like a grasshopper-like insect that I've actually never seen in that in enough numbers that they would be mating and making noises in the first place. And I'm realizing more and more um, that the, the this wonderful flip side of this nightmare situation that is really tragic is is one of them the beautiful flip sides of it is just being more aware of how precious life is like you guys are saying and i think part of tonally why 2049 seems so apropos for this moment is because um it's like a, more than any other work of art it hits this amazing sweet spot 
where there is at once this incredible sense of like stasis and loss and being kind of caught in the sludge of a world that can't sustain itself anymore. And this incredibly bright, brilliant human hopefulness, like this on a macro level that things are so bad and so shut down after so many fuck ups for so many generations, the world is just like, that's it. Like we're done, you know? And then in the midst of that, there's this really beautiful, simple human story unfolding of just this search, you know, for a past, for a future, for humanity. And it's a very small search and it's really personal and it's really beautiful. And it's a search that's conducted by people who are not in contact with other humans for the most part. 2019 is a story of proximity, right? It's a story where of compression. It's a story where it takes place, for one thing, in this megapolis, right, that's just completely overpopulated. But it's a story where nobody can get breathing room. There's like not a chance to, to do that unless you happen to be Tyrell and live above the rest of everybody else. It's like there, there's no, no space for anybody. In 2049, there's just too much space. And that's actually – that's a complaint people had. We had write-ins, very eloquent write-ins about this when it came out that it didn't feel like Blade Runner because it felt like it was too open or it felt like there wasn't enough sort of you know dark pockets of darkness in it. It one wasn't of the amazing, wasn't claustrophobic <laughs> Well, just one, one, of the, one of the aesthetically incredible things about 2049, I feel like, is that it kind of weaponizes this anti-claustrophobia. And having these open spaces, it feels like they're wrong. It feels like something's wrong with that. Like you're it aware gives you of the depopulation. agoraphobia. Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, it's like the opposite effect. Right? Exactly. And, and when you see a lot of people like at the, you know, at the Trash Mesa, for example, you, you, you become afraid of the crowd. You, you, you feel that sort of sense of why are there so many people here all of a sudden, right? Um, and in a small way, and this is uh, probably not even worth bringing up, but whatever, I'll do it. When I have been going on these walks and these hikes, like Jamie was mentioning, you know, like, you know, I, I've seen other people, of course, and it's like the only time I'm seeing people I'm not, you know, in a family with basically ever, right? Like all of us. And I see them and we have this moment where we see each other simultaneously, very powerfully as two completely divergent things. One is like a buoy because it's like a person to connect with. So there's the sense of really wanting to, and also as potentially a weapon, right? And you get that crazy moment that happens every single time I get close to somebody, I'm not even close to somebody, but every time I'm aware that I'm walking and I'm going to be crossing paths, where we look at each other and, and we don't want to, but we have to move away and we have to very consciously do that. And we have that moment of like respect and we acknowledge each other and it's a deep connection because it's simultaneously very personal and very warm and also very afraid. And, uh, and and I think that awareness of proximity is something that I have just never in my entire life had. I have never moved through crowds thinking anything of it. And part of that is because, you know, I'm a fucking white guy who doesn't have to worry about that many things when he navigates the world. And that's just sort of the state of my life. I'm, I'm usually fine when I'm in crowds of people. And, you know, I blend right in. Nobody thinks twice, you know. But now I'm, I'm getting this experience of what it's like to have to be aware of where I am in space with other people. And, um, and we taught, you know, my wife who is, who would be joining us and would be fucking great in this episode, but she's currently studying for one of her final nursing school exams tomorrow. Uh, as she brought up, I think very memorably, and actually I know Mark, you actually wrote a, an incredible poem inspired by this. You know, she mentioned how as a woman navigating the world, she's very used to this idea that she should make herself small to avoid getting in men's way or to avoid making too much of an impression or to avoid, you know, getting, getting, boat. getting, having to is exactly. And, uh, and, and that's something that when she said that I, I realized making really, yourself smaller. Yeah. 
making exactly. yourself smaller. Yeah, that was perfect. I, that still is, yeah, it's a great quote from her. So good luck on your exam, yeah. Michael. <laughs> I'll pass them along. Um, but that really stuck with me a lot that night. And, and I'm realizing how much I'm feeling that acutely for the first time in my life. And it's, and it's ultimately for me, a very good thing because I'm not somebody who has had to do that in the past, but it's something that once again, is contributing to this 2049 feeling of like, people are potentially very dangerous, but there aren't that many of them to connect with. So you have to like have that moment every time you come in contact with somebody where you acknowledge each other in a very deep way. Um, and that's just something I'm, I'm feeling. You know, what's interesting about what you said, or the thing I find the most interesting from a sort of psychological human perspective is that when you're seeing that stranger or maybe neighbor, somebody, you know, they could be an acquaintance, they might not be, but they're obviously another human. I think part of your reaction is your higher brain, while the other part of your reaction is your very primitive brain. So the higher part is this empathetic human connection that we feel, right? Oh, cool. Another person who's going through the same shit I'm going through and is also walking his dog or walking his kids or whatever he's doing, right? Or getting some fresh air. And it's like, yeah, you want to have that conversation because you don't have to introduce a bunch of stuff. You already have something in common. So it's like so much easier to really just break the ice and be like, Hey, is your family? Okay. How are you guys doing? Have you guys found enough food? Is like, are things okay with work? Like stuff like that. There's this background understanding of where that's coming from. Right. And then the primitive part of your brain that's responsible for fight or flight. When you see a snake, for example, that's something evolutionary, evolutionarily it's imprinted into our brain, right? We're already born afraid of snakes. And if you have any doubt, you're going to, watch that rattle go off and hear it going off or watch that snake bite someone and kill them. And you're going to learn really fast to stay away from snakes. Right. But of course that other person isn't a snake, but there's this hidden invisible weaponized danger that could be there. And the primitive part of your brain is like, Whoa, run the other way. So I, I find that really interesting. I think that might be one part of the conflict that you feel inside when you're in that situation. Um, because those are both really powerful parts of our brain that are a big part of our human experience. It's just sometimes we have to be in a strange scenario to really stop and think about it. The same way when you are in real fight or flight, like you run into a bear on a trail or something like that, you have to make a decision and time seems to like slow down. You know, like it's, it definitely has these weird time bending properties almost. And it really gives you time later to stop and think about what that process was. That's what I was thinking while you were talking about it. That's super interesting. But before we go to Nexus, one other thing, and, and Jamie, and then I'm going to toss it off to you because you haven't gotten to speak for a while, but just before I forget really quick, um, going back to something Mark had mentioned, the final sequence of the film, which I, I think is just obviously a fucking extraordinary, that is such a moment of proximity. And that's something that I don't want to lose sight of, right? When when Deckard and Celine place their hands on opposite sides of this glass, they're separated by a, a universe of experience and of unknowing. She doesn't know who he is when he walks in. She doesn't know who she's looking at, right? Like there's this extraordinary chasm between them. And there's a physical chasm because she's on one side of a bubble, right? And yet their hands come together. And it's like the only moment in that whole – because all the affection in the movie really has been with Joy and Kay, Right. And 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 the the tragedy is that you know Kay can't touch Joy in any in any real way, like the 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 closest to a physical connection that has real emotional meaning, which I don't think you know his threesome necessarily had, is uh, is in that final shot with with Deckard and Staline, coming up against that barrier and pushing so hard that you know that emotionally that barrier has splintered into a million pieces. Jamie, go ahead. 
No, I, I, it's uh, interesting. Again, as everyone is talking, I'm processing the idea, and I've been thinking a lot about um, the media in our lives and how we are both encapsulating this idea that we are both human and replicant at the same time. And what did you have in these films is the replicants are dangerous. They're dangerous. They're a danger to society. So we're living in this experience right now where we are both experiencing this catastrophe, this silent, invisible enemy, and we are also being fed that any one of them out there could possibly kill you, possibly. So it's this it's this strange dichotomy where don't get too close, don't like, don't get too close, don't get too close. And then you have it's this... It's like a Carpenter film. Yeah, and Honestly. then you have this... <laughs> yeah, like then you have this media conglomerate machine which I think is the fucking enemy. And I, I, I've been thinking that like, who are just drumming up fear, 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 fear. And I would never, like, I. it's funny that I got to this point today. I was actually, me and Mark were talking on the phone uh, this morning. Um, and we started talking about the media or I started talking about the media and how much the media is fueling this fear between, the, that we should have for each other, this fear of what could happen, this this many deaths here, blah, 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 blah. But like just headlines of scaring, 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 as opposed to something more measured, something that brings us together. They're not interested in, and that's not everyone. There are media outlets like maybe Newsy or NPR, people that have a little bit better grasp of what it is to share the news and do so in a human way, for sure. There are news outlets, but I would think, in my opinion, the conglomerates are, are really coalescing around this idea of, of selling fear, of publishing fear, um, fear of each other, fear of ourselves, fear of the government. Um, and it's just a strange place to be where we are, we are both the victim possibly. Um, and like everybody else was saying, it, other people are sort of weaponized. You don't know. Like Dan was saying, you have this sort of higher the higher brain saying this, the lower brain saying this, how do you, and even I think governor Cuomo um, said today or a couple days ago about how hard it is to isolate that. This is not the human condition. We are not meant to live this way. Um, and again, which brings me back to 2049 where everyone is living this way. Everyone is isolating. Everyone is alone and by themselves and looking for something real. They're looking for something real. And now we're living in this in this existence where we're being denied something real. I don't mean to blow it up too out of proportion, but even for me, like in both Dan and Patrick know this, I've met somebody and I can't really see them. We're going to try and like walk far apart. But like, how do you do this in a world that's a danger to you? You know, um, and. I don't have any answers, but it's just these are things that are flowing in my head. But one thing that you mentioned, Patrick, or I don't know if you mentioned uh, Peter, but like I live with my nephews, their ages, their age from 19 to six. And even the 19 year old doesn't really understand what's happening. This, the the eight year old, the other two are incredibly autistic, so or severely autistic, so they they don't really process anything of what's going on. But my eight-year-old nephew, he's just, we we're talking to him and he looks at us like, what? What are you talking about? And he doesn't understand like 
well, why can't we go over here? He has no understanding of why he can't. None. He hears these words. So I'm interested in how you guys are having those conversations with your children. And what are their responses, if there are any? Can I, while you guys think about Jamie's question real quick, um, I just wanted to jump in on the media briefly. And obviously I don't want to get into like much bigger political discussions because we're allowed to disagree and our listeners are going to disagree. But the media outlets that are spreading disinformation, not fact-checking, and that are obviously fear-mongering, I think should be called out for that. That's totally fair. This is also an unprecedented event where the gravity of it has mostly, by most authorities, and for most of the time that it's been a problem in our country, it has been downplayed. So the media has also in doing a job of exposing what's really going on and real numbers, et cetera, and trying to hold authorities accountable for it. You can see the media specifically asking hard questions to officials. I won't mention names, but again, that is one of the good reasons journalism is around. And I commend especially those journalists who are going against the grain to be like, CDC is saying this, WHO is saying that, these different authorities are saying different things. We need to get down to the bottom of like, how dangerous is this? How important is this isolation? Should we be caring about the economy right now? Or are things going to get so bad that if we don't focus on the health aspect, the economy is going to be irrelevant? Lots of really difficult questions to answer that require a lot of data and a lot of time and reliance on other countries to get out accurate data, which I have some serious qualms with. But again, we don't have time to get into that. Um, so I'd like to separate out those two different portions of the media. I totally understand what you're saying about fear mongering. That is definitely a thing that is constantly there. Um, but we don't want to label all of the media as an enemy because that's certainly not the case. And I know you're not doing that, Jamie. I just wanted to like add to your point about the media. Um, anyways, back to the parents. Well, me, uh, personally, my, my son is mildly autistic. Um, so he didn't, he didn't really pick up on, on how different things are. I mean, to him, it was like, all right, extended spring break, you know, cause this thing happened just as he was supposed to go back to school. Um, but then we are, you know, there we are shopping and he sees people in a line for milk, you know, and just everybody's got overstock carts and he doesn't understand why we can't go pick up something as simple as ramen. It, it does get a little hard to, to tell him, but I guess where I've really come from is, well, son, there are people getting sick right now. And when people get sick, a lot of people get scared and that that's why they're they're buying like this. And um, but I, I just I reaffirm the the good hygiene stuff, which I've I've always done. My my kid loves touching touching stuff and then he'll be chewing his fingernails. And it's just, you know, it's it's reaffirming that I'm like, well, son, we really don't want to get sick. And the best way not to do that is wash your hands, you know, keep your fingers out of your face and out of your mouth. And um, but other than that, he really. I think he's really just been enjoying we we've been focusing that time like I um I had mentioned like we we're planting vegetables and fruits. Um you know I I got him out on this camping trip um with my wife and a couple of her friends from work. Uh, just just really trying to get him back outside. Um I think he's really kind of one of them kids that's into the games a lot too where I really got to say hey we should take a break and go do this or that. But, uh, it seems like if, if anything, it's kind of gotten all of us reacquainted with, uh, with nature and, and just getting down to the essentials. Like 
hey, why should we wait to see what's in the grocery store? Let's grow our own, you know? And um, I don't know. I, I think for the most part, I mean, I can tell he's a little nervous, but I think for the most part, um, it, it's turning into a positive thing. So That's great to hear. Patrick, what about your kids? I know that you guys are always really active as parents and do a lot of activities for uh, Jude and Henry. What has changed for you guys so far and kind of how have you been managing both the concept and the practical aspect of it with your kids? Well, so first off, you know, Henry is only three and and he, I feel like he, although he's in, you know, he does go to pre-K, but, but to him, like, I don't think he has lived enough to like understand what the normal rhythm of life looks like. So for him, it's more like he's, I think he's aware that he's having to sing happy birthday for uh, at a slower tempo when he washes his hands. He's aware that we're kind of making him do more (laughs) hygiene stuff. And he's aware that we're like, you know, being pretty active at home on the weekdays and that that might be different because there's more kind of like spontaneous things going on. But I don't think that the gravity is really hitting him. Jude, though, you know, who's almost seven uh, and it's like very well established in school, has a lot of friends, like is very used to going to his like athletic activities on a regular basis. Like his life has been really disrupted by this whole thing. And um, he also, as I mentioned um, on the Perfect Organism episode, like he went into this with an active vocabulary around pandemics because it had been discussed in the school before this happened, you know, just a little bit of context is, is right before really like the lockdowns hit the Boston area. Um, Micah and I had been on a little like, you know, romantic trip to, to Quebec city. So like we were really kind of separated from that for a few days. Right. And then like we came back early because of the acceleration of the news cycle and of getting worried about cross border crossings, et cetera, and not wanting to be separate from the kids. And we came back and like everything was so different and coming back to Boston and seeing the lights off and seeing the streets empty and seeing the stores devoid of people with, and having people with masks on everywhere was really shocking. And the kids had been in school that week because my parents had been staying with them, you know, very you know graciously and taking them to school while Mike and I had been away. So like they had been like basically right up to the lockdown going to school. They didn't get a chance to have the spring break yet. It was like very much just like right in the middle of the week I was because it was Thursday and then Friday was the first day of the lockdown just totally upended. And, um, like, you know, Jude had swim lessons the next day that he couldn't go to. Like, you know, he had a play date that we had to cancel. We were supposed to go visit the grandparents the next week. And that got so like, there was just all these disruptions. So I think, um, in school leading up to that, because they had been in it right up until that lockdown happened, like there had been a lot of discussions about what was coming. And I think that kind of helped seed some of this for him. Um, and he's been adjusting really well to it, as is his brother. But there are times, especially at night, when, just like me, personally, it hits me a little bit harder, the gravity of things. And the kids, like, have been, you know, much more emotional at night lately. And that's just, as a parent, really hard because I, like, I can try to um, explain it, you know, scientifically to them or explain it anthropologically to them or explain it as, you know, as a as a, a symptom of all sorts of different intersectionalities that, you know, we deal with that where I work and which I already talk to them about all the time. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is that because of mistakes made by adults, my kids can't see other kids for who knows how many months. And that's, that's something that I don't think will get any easier, but I do have to say that we have, just like Mark was saying so eloquently, really rediscovered our love for nature, which has always been a part of our lives too. But like the last few weeks has just become the real refuge for our family. And that has just been absolutely amazing. 
um, you know, kids have been getting much more into identifying species of trees and all this shit that like I used to try to get them into and they didn't care about. But now it's like where their heads are, so they're ready for it, which is just a lot of fun. And um, and it's also been a really wonderful time as a parent to see how uh, how amazing the steps are that people are taking to make things easier for kids in the digital context. So whether that's having you know celebrity voice actors leave messages for kids at home or whether it's having Mo Willems, who's one of their favorite illustrators, do online cartooning classes for them. You know, we did that today, you know, doing online That's science really classes cool. with other kids where we're doing experiments at home and we're doing curbside pickup of supplies. And, you know, the kids got to take off into outer space virtually today with a bunch of other kids on a Zoom class. Like, so there, it, there are these amazing moments of connection. And actually that Mo Willems cartooning class ended with him um, doing a doodle and he like held it up and it was this like kind of network of dots and stuff. And he was like, remember this until next time I wanted you to see like, this is that we're all connected. And even though we're alone, we're not, we're not really alone. So sweet. And awesome. there's been a lot of those moments lately that have just been really hitting me and, and making me realize that like other people care about like my kids well-being too, just like I care about their kids well-being. Just like we we're realizing in this time that like we can't fucking continue dropping every ball that we get handed in this life because we are handing these balls to a generation of kids who like are really great and are really going to carry this world into a better place if we don't disallow them from doing it with continuing to fuck it up even more. So uh, it's it's an it's an interesting time, but it's a time that I, I will never forget. And, and I, it's one that I'm really grateful for on a personal level, because as you guys know, because in, in our you know personal lives, you know, I always talk about how how sort of concerned I am with time and the fact that I'm so fucking busy all the time. And, uh, and how much when I'm with the kids, I, I am really present with them. I don't have the phone. I, I really like dedicate myself. But at the end of the day, at the most, I'm getting two and a half hours with them on a weeknight because of bedtime and the realities of my work schedule, you know? So like now I'm not, I don't have that anymore. I just like wake up with them, make breakfast, go on a hike in the morning, go skiing, you know, and then make food, hang out, get home. Um, and like, you know, well, I mean, we already are home, right? And then, like, the, the whole entire thing is taking place together. And it's something that I'm trying to remember. Like, this is very special because this is what I'm craving and I'm not getting. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with that. And, you know, it, it can be difficult to eke out the positivity in this. I often start conversations. I'm on the phone all the time with people. Obviously, this is the topic. Um, and I'll start out positive usually or mention new things I've been reading that seem positive, work they're doing on a vaccine, work engineers and biologists are doing together to come up with a solution. Universities are handing out money for that. You know, there are things going on behind the scenes that we don't necessarily know about. I, I, I'm, I'm losing the line, but someone added in the uh, trillions and could be billions meander <laughs> line right there. <laughs> Speaking of Please. Wallace, right? But we should own in. the stars. Yes, oh, edit, I have edit that millions. in. <laughs> I'm gonna do two. I'm gonna do two things here. I'm I'm gonna reference um, personal, which I don't often do, and often the reason why I stay off of social media and and things like that. And then also, I want to reference the the Nexus down very quickly, very quickly for what we're doing. And I I want to get just everyone a quick comment on that. But okay, kid wise, it, it's it's a little different. Um, we, um, having my, my oldest are, are twins, boy, girl, twins. Um, they sort of, uh, were obviously born together, born with, uh, friends. Um, I think they hang out more than the most siblings. Um, luckily they've adopted that into their younger, uh, two younger siblings. 
um, as well. But it's been pretty amazing to see them come even sort of closer during this time. Um, being opposite sex, they both hang out in different circles at school. And I think oftentimes don't even know what they're, the, the other one's doing at school. Um, they have some vague recollection if you ask them, but otherwise don't really know. Um, but they've always sort of shown a, a, a sort of unbelievable um, um, love for each other and sort of c concern for each other. And um, during this time, I think they've all gotten even closer. And I don't think, to be honest, they they miss school right now. Um, we've been off. We were on we're in a year round school, so they were already on break a week. This is week three now of not being at school the third week now tomorrow officially being when they were supposed to go back to school and won't. Um, and I don't think they, 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 they sort of miss it. I think they enjoy the time together. Um, sort of the undercurrents that I was sort of doing and again, not getting into too much. Um, but again, I want to share enough that people in the community know that they can reach out to each other. Um, my son often had night terrors and, uh, other issues with that growing up um his sister did not um but they have been gone for a long time but i've noticed a lot of them sort of resurfacing lately and that's like patrick said you know things like that at night are often harder and it's been sort of hard to see a lot of that revert um and the only cause that i can possibly think of that is sort of i, I think it's sort of underlying stress i think he has a lot of of traits that i carry a lot of traits of uh, cool and uh, K um, where, you know, you try to maintain a lot and then sort of when you're uh, released a little, those, those, those feelings can be released as well. Um, I've seen a lot of those sort of bubbling up. I think remember that kids are, it's harder for them to process and just, you know, they, it's, it's been good. And I, I think I, I've, again, saying that I've had to, had to work is, is sort of an odd thing to say because a lot of people want to work who aren't able to now. So I'm not trying to garner any sympathy. I'm excited to work and I need to work and it's a good time to work. Um, but part of that is um, that in the extra time I've had, I've, I've tried to be, like Patrick said, even more so present. And remember that, you know, sort of they're watching you. Um, I know there was a comment uh, my son made that he somehow, because I'm like Patrick, uh, you mentioned 49 and I'll start bawling it for no apparent reason anywhere. Um, and yet somehow, not too long ago, my son and daughter, the oldest ones, mentioned that they had never even seen me cry. And I was like, have you guys watched any movie with me? I mean, we're watching freaking Dora the Explorer, the movie. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> you must be watching the screen now. But anyways, just a couple nights ago... Um, we were watching Billy Elliot, um, the, the the middle daughter, I, I'll call her, um, really enjoys ballet. And my son also enjoys dancing a lot. And we wanted to sort of show that movie and show that, hey, look, if you don't want to box, don't box. Not that any of our kids box. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Patrick, you could pass it on to John Abdella on your other podcast. But anyways, <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't have to be the tough guy boxing, punching other people's teeth out. Um <laughs> But so he really enjoyed um, seeing Billy sort of find his release, his sort of stress reliever in dance, and they all sort of had fun. 
And I really made it a point. Um, there's, I'll, I'll cry at every moment in that movie, but I really made it a point to sort of walk over to my son and say, "You see these? These are these are real tears. This is this is real." And I sort of almost felt like trying to prove my humanity, um, sort of, you know, again in the vein of, of Blade Runner. Um, and I think they really appreciated that. And so I think it's okay to show your kids your vulnerability. Um, that these are times that are stressful even for adults. So, hey, if you're a kid and you're feeling this, you know, whatever. But, yeah, I, I think we found a lot of salt in the outside, too. We have about a uh, – our yard's about an acre, but we're attached to woods. And, you know, we spent most of the day or most of the weekend out running around the woods, and they had a blast. So I think that's always a great chance to do. Finally, yes. Um, I think, uh, again, being a parent – of trillions and billions you can insert that quote again if you want um only four only four um one being seven months now um i think uh, there's not a lot of time um before when i was traveling a lot more when when work was was going and i would call from my spinner to you guys um i had a lot more time to watch the entirety of 2049 i haven't really had that and i haven't rewatched it you know probably in 2020 um, but I find myself continually going to uh, 2036 um, Nexus Dawn, and I watched that probably three times tonight before the podcast. And I, I think a big part of that is showing how how is it and just how it could be that um, sort of this governing body, um, the magistrate council, I think they're called, it's four people in a dilapidated room with like a, a, a chandelier, um, you know, again – sort of the image um and that's sort of the mood um that i like to sort of stick my head in um, before kind of going to sleep at night which is odd but again there's an odd comfort to sort of that scene um where we're in neander i almost said wallace but we're in neander's talking about you know you i you members of the council you remember hunger and now you're going to indulge me because i'm the one that keeps that hunger at bay uh, because of my patents and if we want to just of course because we all are theorize about things i mean just imagine um what could happen in this instance once that vaccine is found um what could happen if uh, if, uh, if a corporation is allowed to patent and commoditize that vaccine and what are people going to do and allow the holders of the vaccine to now do and I mean, is Neander a villain? He's potentially saved the world. I know I I continue to be a Neander apologist. I I love that character. I, I sort of love the the Neander and Decay on both sides of that. But you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I think I think everyone should get back and check out the twenty thirty six if you don't have time for the twenty forty nine. It has all the themes, and it has all the notes, and it's it, it's fun to watch. We can say you remember isolation. That's for sure. You know that yeah, could be the well, the sticking that. point. For we sure. Remember when when we weren't hugging, when we weren't when you saw a friend and you didn't spend that time to just squeeze a little harder, pause on the hug instead of pat in the back. Now wrap that around even tighter. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh my God, I cannot wait to hug people again, for real. It's going to be a long time because I think even after this, you know, lifts and, and we get through these rolling cycles of reinfection that we're probably going to have, like the residual memory of this will live with us physically for a long time, you know? 
but but we will get there again and we will hug each other again and we will be able to connect in the physical space just as intimately as we connect in the digital space and that will be a, a really blessed time that we won't take for granted and um, jamie and- this is only going to lead to another joy episode because look <laughs> you aren't you're out there, yet I can't touch you. Are you real? <laughs> Are you just my computer sending you guys what I want friends to look like and sound like? I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? Right now, it doesn't matter because it's this has been everything to me tonight, guys. This has been a great stress reliever. Uh, Mark, let's uh, let's hear from you, and, and just thanks for joining, and it's nice to know you're out there, too. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's it's. Uh... This is the most connected I've felt in a while, um, you know, outside of my immediate family. And, uh, you know, it's it's because of this podcast itself that I, I really started reaching out and like, hey, there's other fans like me out there. And uh, I can't even begin to tell you how much of a change it's made in my life. Awesome. That, thank you to everyone for joining. Thank you for all our patrons. Uh, you can go to perfectorganism.com forward slash support or bladehunterpodcast.com forward slash support. If you're interested in getting um, access to some of the uh, – or to all of the frame rate library where we have where the three or two of us review random films that we love and uh, Shit Show, which I'll let Patrick describe real quick. It's just the lighthearted side of Perfect Organism where uh, we've done a few shows on the AVP films and there are more to come and they're a little bit more kind of raucous. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we, talk, we talk about garbage films <laughs> and that, that access is ours at just two bucks a month so um it's relatively affordable and we've even had some people sign up in, in this time of crisis which is probably half of it's due to the fact that they're stuck with a lot more time on their hands but anyways um yeah thanks everyone and everyone please stay safe and have a better one and uh if you whoever's listening to this uh feel free to comment write us how tell us how you're doing What's going on with you? Maybe we'll cover that again um, just as a, as a, a debrief for whatever episode we release next. So thank you so much, everyone, for taking the time. We do love you. We're listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Human action resounds in the heavens. The bell echoes above. What we decide here today will polish or crack the firmament. What shall it be?